belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for the week of September 26, 2021 is called Christoformity. The speaker is Tim Holland and the location is Vesper Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Morning, Grace. Um, so when Laura and I got married, we didn't really have the most traditional wedding. Um, it was actually a surprise wedding. So none of our friends in DC knew that uh, the engagement party, which was billed as a surprise for Laura, was actually our wedding. And um, that Laura was in a wedding dress with her family in the basement uh, waiting to come out. But we were surrounded by extended family. Um, our parents knew, in case you had any questions, uh, we didn't want to get disowned, but um, surrounded by uh, extended family, close friends in our church community, and we were all packed into this restaurant on H Street, which is not too far from the Capitol. Um, and it so happened that we didn't have an actual scripture reading, um, but we did have a reading from the Velveteen Rabbit um, to provide the foundation for our life together. Um I'm going to be talking to you today about Christiformity as lived theology. We're going to break that down, so don't worry. Um, Shay Tuttle, uh, who's the author of Exactly As You Are, The Life and Faith of Mr. Rogers, explains that lived theology exists at the intersection of faith and action. Lived theology looks at the alignment between how we live our lives and what we actually believe. And Christiformity is the basis for that intersection of faith and action. Faith and action. So unlike our surprise wedding today, we are going to have um, some scripture, uh, but in the same spirit of meaningful children's literature that builds a foundation, um, I'd like to set the stage by opening with a reading from The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Uh, the adult narrator in this story opens with a core memory from his childhood. I'm just going to jump in here. So once when I was six years old, I saw a magnificent picture in a book. Called, the true, called True Stories from Nature, about the primeval forest. It was a picture of a boa constrictor in the act of swallowing an animal. In the book, it said, boa constrictors swallow their prey whole without chewing it. After that, they are not able to move, and they sleep through the six months that they need for digestion. I pondered deeply then over the adventures of the jungle, and after some work with a colored pencil, I succeeded in making my first drawing. I showed my masterpiece to the grown-ups and asked them whether the drawing frightened them. But they answered, Frighten? Why should anyone be frightened by a hat? My drawing was not a picture of a hat. It was a picture of a boa constrictor digesting an elephant. But since the grown-ups are not able to understand it, I made another drawing. The grown-ups' response this time was to advise me to lay aside my drawings of boa constrictors and devote myself instead to geography, history, arithmetic, and grammar. And that is why, at the age of six, I gave up what might have been a magnificent career as a painter. I had been disheartened by the failure of my drawings. Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves, and it is tiresome for children to always be forever explaining things to them. So then I chose another profession and and have lived a great deal among grown-ups. I've seen them intimately, close at hand, and that hasn't much improved my opinion of them. Whenever I met one of them who seemed to me at all clear-sighted, I tried an experiment of showing them my drawing, which I have always kept. I would try to find out if this was a person of true understanding. 
But whoever it was, they would always say, that's a hat. Then I would never talk to that person about boa constrictors or primeval forests or stars. I would bring myself down to their level. I would talk to them about bridge and golf and politics and neckties. And the grown-up would be greatly pleased to have met such a sensible man. So I love what St. Exupery says about children always needing to explain things to adults. Because adults can under can't understand things on their own. And it's true. We look around at others to figure out what is socially acceptable. We wear clothes that aren't comfortable, order food we don't want, work jobs we don't like, all for the sake of others who are also doing the same thing. And this is how we build a society and culture where kids are free to dream and imagine as long as they eventually grow up. I grew up, like many of you, going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible study on Thursday night, and youth group on Saturday night. Following Jesus was about living rightly and sharing him and sharing about him with everyone you met. And one of the first Bible verses I memorized was Romans 12:2. In it, Paul urges the Romans not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, which to me at that time was great because I was so busy at church that I wasn't in the world at all. My world was church and I conformed. From this perspective, Romans 12.2 is about the need to lessen the influence of those outside the church, to diminish their voice and the role they play in our daily lives. It makes the world around us a thing to be avoided and like-minded community, something to be sought after. It values the institution of the church more highly than integration with the community around it. So what did the church in Rome hear as Phoebe visited their homes to read Paul's letter? Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. In Greek, the word worldly is kosmikos, and it appears nowhere in the original text of Romans. The word here, the word used for world is aeoni, which is related to the word eon, and it can be, translate, can be translated as age, here and now, or world. Nowhere does it say to avoid negative influences by steering clear of people who aren't Christians. It's not a prescriptive formula by which I concern God, can discern God's will and understand perfect if I don't do this one thing right. It's wisdom. It speaks to the value and philosophy of action, not specific application. So if you want to discern God's will to know what is good and acceptable and perfect or complete, don't shape your life around the here and now because we're playing the long game of shaping ourselves to be more like Christ and less like one another. And in that, our most true self, this is Christiformity, a lived theology of unity, self-denial, and tolerance of others. In reading Romans backwards, Scott McKnight writes that Christiformity is the core of lived theology, and it takes on three separate themes, a God orientation, a body of Christ orientation, and a public orientation. In context, Romans 12.2 follows Paul's exhortation in 12.1, where he writes, Brothers and sisters, by the mercy of, mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. This is a God orientation in lived theology. 
McKnight goes on to write that Christian sacrifice is an embodied way of life offered to the invisible but ever-present God. What they do is their sacrifice. When they speak, listen, embrace, drink, love, have sexual relations, guide children, offer wisdom, work, garden, pay taxes, offer visible expressions of care, respect, approve and disapprove, pray, participate in fellowship, and worship and instruction. Their sacrifice is their embodied life. Play the long game. Don't get stuck on what everybody else is doing. Don't change who you are based on those around you. Laura shared a uh, a few weeks ago about biblical imagination. It enlivens scripture and how we see God, which is something kids do not inherently struggle with. They don't have a junior version of the Holy Spirit. They have an imagination that doesn't box him in. And they are willing to see what is so often lost on the rest of us. So hold on to your imagination. Dream. Draw pictures of boa constrictors eating elephants. Make new friends, different friends. Be the weird friend. One of Laura's favorite things is to ask people in a group or work setting, what's your weird? What makes you, you? Don't box yourself in and break barriers when other people do. Because we do not live our lives to be like or to please other people. Ordering our lives should be about orienting ourselves to God. Next, Christiformity is about a body of Christ orientation. An embodied life of unity with others in the faith, regardless or even because of sharp divergence in applied values, political ideology, and social views. There's a lot of talk in Romans about the strong and the weak. Um, This wasn't figurative. It was literal and politically charged. Romans 15, 1 through 2, Paul writes, But we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Paul might as well have been talking about Presbyterians and Pentecostals here. Um, Weak and strong refer to two specific and opposing groups uh, within the church. So the weak, they were mostly Jews, and they followed Torah. They ate kosher and did not eat food sacrificed to idols, which was very likely the vast majority of what would have been available in the market to purchase. So a lot of them, as a result, were vegetarians, and they observed the Sabbath. The strong, mostly Gentiles, knew it was difficult to to avoid eating food sacrificed to idols. It was something that people did, and it was what was available. They also wanted to follow Jesus and did not concern themselves with Jewish tradition or customs. As non-Jews, they also had higher status in society. There was less to make them different from their neighbors. The strong despised the weak for their unnecessary observance of Torah around food and Sabbath. And the weak judged the strong for not following Torah. The tension wasn't about theology. It rarely is. It was a conflict of lived theology and social status. Again, the conflict wasn't about theology. It was about how they lived. Romans 12, 3-8 reads, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment as God has distributed, distributed to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. Of this, McKnight writes that living an embodied life for God is to live with other bodies in the body of Christ. The danger in that body in Rome and the body today is the same. Not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. 
Don't take yourself too seriously and don't believe your own hype. Doing so leaves one to chase after power and privilege and status and accolades. They live unchecked, surrounding themselves with like-minded people who don't challenge them. Paul is calling the weak and the strong in Rome toward a body of Christ orientation, where they recognize the gifts God has given to each of them, regardless of status, food, Sabbath, or anything else. It is generosity. It's an other status and other orientation, not self-status and self-orientation, that brings peace and unity, which is necessary to break through the condescending judgment of the strong and the reactive judgments of the weak. Um, last week, Becky, Becky preached powerfully on this passage, and I'd like to hit it again um, through the lens of Christiformity. So Romans 14, 1 through 12. There's a lot of scripture in this one today. Now receive the one who is weak in faith, and do not have disputes over differing opinions. One person believes in eating everything, but the weak person eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not, and the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything, for God has accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to, is able to make him stand. One person regards one day holier than other days, and another regards them all alike. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day does it for the Lord. The one who eats, eats for the Lord, because he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains from eating, abstains for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and none dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. But you who eat vegetables only, why do you judge your brother or sister? And you who eat everything, why do you despise your brother or sister? Um, when I did YWAM, I spent three months in Mali, which is in West Africa, in the city of Bamako. And women there don't wear pants. Um, they do wear dresses and skirts. And um, the men wear long pants, never wear shorts. Uh, near the end of our time there, like my team, we saw this group of Europeans standing just outside the hotel. And one of the women was wearing pants and the men were all wearing shorts. It was like in the upper 90s and just really hot and dusty. Um, but all of us on our, on our mission team, we just stared. We hadn't seen a, a woman wearing pants and it was just like way out of context. Um, some of us even judged because that group of people should have known better. They should have understood the culture, the conservative dress of a staunchly Muslim country and at least respected others enough to wear clothes that covered their bodies. Here we were following the rules of a religious culture and judging others for their freedom. Lived theology is body of Christ oriented. It gets people together at the table. It makes the needs of the weak the norm of the group. Paul rounds this out in chapter 15, verse 7, saying, Receive one another then, just as Christ also received you to, to God's glory. Full stop. So, lived theology, Christiformity, is God-oriented. It is body of Christ-oriented. And it is public-oriented. This final reading comes from Romans 12 and 13. Uh, starting in 12, chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give peace I'm sorry, give, uh, but give place to God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Side note there, uh, heaping burning coals on someone's head is an idiomatic expression that uh, would, could be translated as like, kill them with kindness. Um, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except by God's appointment. And the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So the person who resists such authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers cause no fear for good conduct, but for bad. Do you desire not to fear authority? Do good, and you will see, receive its con, uh, commendation, because it is God's servant for your well-being. But be afraid if you do wrong, because government does not bear the sword for nothing. It is God's servant to administer punishment on the person who does wrong. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the wrath of the authorities, but also because of your conscience. For this reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants devoted to governing. Pay everyone what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. I'm going to be honest, uh, this passage is kind of loaded for me. Especially the let every per everybody goes into like let every person be subject to the authorities uh, of government. Um, it has literally nothing to do with um, how it has for generations in our country more often been used. Uh, this passage has been used to as an empty encouragement for someone whose preferred presidential candidate didn't win, usually like right after. Um, but it's never happened. <laughs> But worse, um, it's also been used to promote racism, prop up slavery, misogyny. But Paul was talking about paying taxes to a pagan government, and his listeners, particularly the weak ones, had real issues with that because of the abuse and persecution and expulsion they had experienced from Rome. Many of them dreamed of revolution and uprising. If you've heard of the Zealots, that's, that's what they were all about. And withholding taxes was a way to kind of stick it to the man without actually being violent. Paul is acknowledging that God is sovereign over governments. The pagan gods of the Romans aren't sovereign, but the one true God is. He's also arguing that sometimes those in government can be corrupt and self-serving. McKnight puts it like this, subjection and the divine ordering of government can be both affirmed and not sanctioned. There are too many times when the divine ordering of government is corrupted by evil people. So, pay your taxes. Treat your Roman neighbors well. Kill them with kindness. This might seem basic to us, but for the church in Rome, it was a hot debate. Paul begins his input on this with a message of love and ends with a charge for them to give without strings attached and by saying love itself is the fulfillment of the law. Benevolence was not a strong concept in Rome, culturally. Um, giving by Gentiles would have come with strings attached, and the receiver would have owed something back to the giver. So in Romans 13, 8, when Paul says, Owe no one anything except lo to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He's calling out both the weak and the strong. Christiformity breaks us out of cultural blindness, calls us to justice and social action, inner growth and intergrowth. 
a positioning of our heart toward God, toward the body of Christ, and toward our neighbors. It is not subject to grown-up sensibility or lack of imagination. And it can see the elephant inside a boa constrictor and recognizes the humanity in others. This is how we need to live and lead our lives of faith. So we're going to transition now to a time of communion. We, uh, our volunteers can come on up. Um, here, Grace, we don't really pass around an offering tray or bags. I don't know if the church I grew up in, we had these like purple velvet bags that had a handle on either side, I guess, to make it more efficient to pass down the pew. Um, but we do have uh, giving online. So um, anyway, if, um, if you're in a place where you're able to do that, you can support the church uh, by giving at gracechurchnwa.org slash give. So when you receive communion today, go ahead and, and take it, eat the, eat the cracker, drink the juice, and we'll continue in a time of worship. I'll go ahead and read the passage now so we can get started. So Luke 12, 14 through, uh, Luke 22, 14 through 20. Now when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.